Blog Talk Radio. Calling all men. It's now your time for your show with your coach, The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Relax, be heard, and be understood. It's the show where men can be men. Now here's the coach who has your back, Linda Gross. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. I am wired to tell you about today's show. We're going to be talking about reading people's faces. We're on with my guest today, Brian Galkey, and he's going to teach us the biography of what's going on with our different facial parts, right? So have you ever wondered if facial features are a roadmap to someone's personality? Well, wonder no more because we're going to answer that question today. For example, are people with thick eyebrows more selfish? And here's a mind blower. Let's find out how his skill 10x his income. All right, get ready to read faces. Let's welcome uh, Brian Gelke to our show. Hi, Brian. Hi, Linda. How are you? Wonderful. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. It's beautiful weather here in Dallas, Texas. Um, we are in the 80s. We had pouring rain yesterday, and it's beautiful and sunshiny today. So what more can you ask for? Yeah, really can't. It's beautiful weather here, too. It's been a little bit on the chilly side, but um, all good for L.A. All right. Well, let's just uh, dive right in. I understand that you were, I know you're in sales now, but I understand you formerly were an introvert. So can you tell us how you can use this skill or can you use this skill even if you're a withdrawn person? Oh, absolutely. So I'm what I like to tell people, an introverted extrovert in that I used to love to be around people, but I was terrified to talk to people. And that's because a lot of introverts, we, we overthink things, right? And we're always worried about what is everybody else thinking? What do they think of me? And in 2011, I met somebody who changed my life. And to give you a quick funny story, yeah. uh, a, friend, a friend was coming in from out of town. She's like, hey, let's do dinner. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I'd gotten to the restaurant and uh, she called and said, hey, I'm not going to make it. And I thought, oh, here we go. And she's like, no, 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 trust me. You need to come over here and meet this guy. And I was being stubborn. I'm like, nope, I already ordered my glass of wine. Uh, <laughs> we had a plan. You know, I'm not going to, you know, just, we had a plan. I'm sticking to it. She said, no, trust me. You need to come over here and meet this guy. And I said, all right. So uh, I finally just closed out my tab and I went over there. And this guy read my face. And I was instantly blown away, but I was skeptical at the exact same time. And so there were eight other people at the table and he was reading everybody's face, and he would go one person at a time. And I thought, ah, I'm going to catch this guy, right? He's going to use what's known as Barnum statements, which are things that are so generic that they could apply to anybody. Like, oh, right. you've had a rough time. You've lost someone with the name M. You know, a lot of these things that you see on, like, mentalist shows and everything else. And he didn't. He picked out different features on different people. Or if he saw someone with the same feature, I was waiting to see, was, would he give them something different, more generic? And it mm-hmm. wasn't. And it absolutely stunned me right then and there because 
I had been, you know, like a good introvert. I'd picked up books on NLP, body language, you name it. But those are all reactive skills. After you got to know someone, this was the first proactive skill that I saw. And I was instantly hooked. Um, I bought his book. Um, He happens to live here in the DFW area. And twice a month, he would get together for two hours at a time. I'd hop in the car and drive over to Fort Worth and attend these two-hour classes. And then he held, uh, once a year, he would do a certification class along with his partner. And you better believe I was there. And that was in 2012. And at the time, I was on the help desk. Mm-hmm. And I went from being on the help desk to being a regional vice president of sales because I learned to get out of my own way by learning to focus on other people solely based on their facial features. That is so fascinating. By the way, my audience, if you want to call in with a question or comment on this topic, we are reading faces today and what it all means. Do so. Call us at 323-642-1677, 323-642-1677, or you can catch us on the chat line right here at blogtalkradio.com, blogtalkradio.com forward slash DT Linda Gross, forward slash DT Linda Gross. We're on today with my special guest, Brian Galkey, and he's teaching us how to read faces. So, um, did you change your MO? I, you know, I know you were in sales, like before learning this technique and after learning this technique, are there things that you learned along the way that you were able to apply that really brought m- much more success to, you know, your way? hundred percent. What changed for me was I could practice everything in my hotel room. So I used to be part of a demo team and I used to be a corporate trainer. And so before you go out to a client site for anything, there's so many things that you can do ahead of time. Does my PowerPoint work? Is my projector working? But people were always the unknown. Mm-hmm. What really changed for me was once I learned how to analyze people's faces, then what I could do is go look them up on LinkedIn, any type of social media, and think, I know what I want to say, but how would they best understand it? And when you learn to focus on other people, once again, I I tell people this is the skill that got me out of the prison of my own mind and into the present moment. Because when you start to focus on other people, it's different. And it it changes the way that you interact with people. And people feel seen and heard because you're making an attempt to speak their language. And if I can give you a quick analogy, I recently went to, when we could travel, we used to go to Europe. And what I learned as a traveler was, when I was young, I would go and I thought, oh, well, the whole world speaks English, right? Or they should. And if they don't, I'll just speak it louder, right? So I was that typical obnoxious American. Mm-hmm. When I learned to go somewhere and learn basic phrases, please, thank you, good morning, good evening, good night, uh, ask for the bill, most importantly, where's the bathroom? When you learn these skills and you attempt somebody else's language, they treat you differently. Because they know that you're making an attempt to be part of their culture or enjoy their experience, and they give you that same level of respect. And that's what it's really like is I know what I want to say, but it's how would I best communicate with that person. And just kind of beating people to the punch today who may call in, they're like, oh, this is BS. This hasn't been around. You know, do you read palms also? I absolutely do not read palms. You know, about the show uh, Lie to Me, I think that's an amazing show, but that's micro-expressions. That's how people's faces move while you're talking to them. I'm talking about resting facial features. So um, as an example, I was talking yesterday with a sales enablement manager who was trying to figure out how does she help her sales team. 
And I'm like, well, do they know who they're going to meet with? And they're like, yeah. I said, okay, so let me go look at your company's About Us website. And I grabbed a bunch of executives and I said, okay, this executive, you talked to them this way. This executive, you talked to them that way. And that's the advantage of it is you can literally do your homework ahead of time. So there's no such thing as a cold call. And because we're, the natural question people ask also is like, oh, yeah, where else can you use us besides sales? I don't know, anywhere anybody has a face. So I like to call it the unfair advantage that you can use in your business life, your social life, and more importantly, in your romantic life. And I, yeah, fully, I fully agree with you, and I think people mistakenly think that these types of skills are only used in sales. Mm-hmm. But in my worldview, Everything is sales. <laughs> Whether you want the waiter to bring you your dish of food or another glass of beer or whatever it is, it's all sales. It's all, you, like you say, it's all in how you present it. And you really do get a lot of mileage since most people are self-centered and self-absorbed. If you come from the other person's point of view, they're like, wow, um, you know, Brian's trying to say a few words in my language, you know, so they know that you've taken the time to do that. And they're like in shock because who does that, right? And they, they actually will open up and bring you a free dessert or another glass of wine or whatever it is because you've made an effort. And people, by nature, they try to reciprocate that effort. So I fully agree with you. Mispronounce it butcher the word it doesn't matter the fact that you're trying they notice 100 percent and and now it's easier than ever on your phone you can do you know google translate or whatever so if you you know need to ask a phrase like where is the bathroom or whatever you can just type that into your you know search engine and boom there it is so there's no excuse now 100 <laughs> percent, and that's so there's so many stories like that. Um, that brings me to a point that I usually talk about later in it, and that is I applaud anybody who buys somebody the next cup of coffee. So you always hear about somebody, hey, I paid for the next person, Starbucks, you know, behind yeah. That's good. But when you learn to pay attention to the barista and make yeah. them feel seen and heard, everybody after you benefits, not just the next person in line. And that's why when I teach this, I would say, if you guys want somewhere to practice these skills I'm going to talk about today – Start with people that other people ignore, servers, bartenders, gate agents at, at airports. I've gotten upgrades to first class because I stopped and spent 45 seconds talking to someone and just making them feel seen and heard. I can give you an example from just three weeks ago. I was flying. I went and spoke at an event with Steve Sims in Phoenix, Arizona, and then I had to fly to Indiana, and that's when Dallas got iced over, and so there were no flights home. And they put me, they canceled my original flight and they put me on an 8 p.m. flight the next day that was going from Indianapolis to New York, had a four-hour layover or, yeah, four-hour layover because I got in at 2 a.m. into New York and then I had a 6 a.m. flight back to Dallas. And that's, so that's like seven hours of flying. I thought, there's no way in the world I'm doing that. So I, I went to the airport early. I said, I'll just take my chances. And I walked up to the gate agent and they said, you're on standby. I said, no problem. So I went to the gate agent who was actually there and I said, hey. I know this is all your fault. And now she had rounded eyebrows like yourself, which we'll get to later. But she had rounded eyebrows. And I said, it's all you guys' fault. Everybody here, you know, you guys control the weather. You guys control the maintenance on the plane. We should all come yell at you. And I was joking around. I said, <laughs> I, you know, I said, I hope your coworkers are going to survive today. And then more importantly, after they're taken care of, I hope, you know, everybody's nice to you too. And I know some people aren't going to be, but know that some of us appreciate it. And I, I wasn't saying that to get the upgrade to first class. 
I was saying it because I knew she was going to get yelled at all day. So it was just helping somebody feel seen and heard because they weren't going to have a good day the rest of the day. Not only did I get on standby, but I ended up in first class. And that was that simple. And the whole thing is I wasn't, I was hoping to get on standby. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I was, I was hoping for that. I wasn't expecting to be in first class, but I that got is, bumped ahead of other people. That is so awesome. Can you use some of this technique when it's just a phone call? Like, do you pick up on whether they're an auditory person or not? So I have a huge confession to make, a bad mm-hmm. confession. <laughs> I sometimes like kind of lose it a little bit with tech support people that when they ask me the same exact question three times, mm-hmm. I know they're not paying attention to a word I'm saying. And I realize they have to take, you know, 40 calls a day or whatever it is. And I'm sorry for that. But don't ask me the same, you know, when you call your cable company, they say, are you calling about, you know, cable? internet or mobile and you answer mobile and then they ask you the same question like three times during the conversation it's like uh please kill me now and I just kind of you know it it, that's when I get in I'm a very patient person but I get impatient in those circumstances so anyway long story short can you use some of your skills when it's just an auditory uh, situation like a phone call Absolutely. Um, the first, there's a few ways to answer If you're calling tech support, chances are you're not going to know who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. If you're making a cold call to somebody, you absolutely can because you know who you're cold calling. So you go look them up on social media, and then you just examine a few of their facial features. And I, I'm going to step back for a second. Yeah. What a, one of the things is everybody says, oh, I don't know anything about facial feature recognition, or I don't know anything about faces. So if I say a series of phrases like, take one on the chin, they've got an eye for this, they've got an ear for this, keep a stiff upper lip. Those mm-hmm. are all parts of our everyday language. And the reason that we all have a base level of face analysis is because authors and artists used to go and have to take courses in what's known as physiognomy. And that is the art of understanding people based upon their facial, facial characteristics. And so if you look at Edgar Allan Poe, and it goes all the way back to the Greeks, when somebody was writing a book or a novel, They couldn't walk in and say, John's the hero and Steve's the villain. Everyone in a book is described by their facial features and their actions. So we've been sort of trained since childhood because we read books and we know who the hero is and who the villain is without even seeing a picture of them. And I'm talking older books before photographs were part of our everyday like romance novels or regular books or anything like that. You had to imagine in your head who it was. So they were describing, again, their facial features and their actions. And that's who you knew who was the hero and who was the villain in a book. And artists used to also take this. So when you're looking at older cartoons or drawings, and you can even go back to early Disney movies, you know, just as soon as it comes on, who's the hero and who's the villain. Heroes have very broad shoulders, wide chins, strong, or sorry, uh, wide jaws, strong chins. Villains Mm -hmm. have a lot of pointed features. So if I said to you, a vampire, the devil, which is they all have very angled features, so angled chins. The devil's chin comes down to a point, mm-hmm. horns, fangs. So we know certain facial features because we've been taught it through authors and artists. Nobody's just received formal training except for attorneys are taught this for jury consulting. So if you're going down the jury consulting realm, this is actually taught to people. And it used to be part of regular academia, but what happened was it got lumped in with 
what's known as phrenology, which is bumps on the head. And so what happened is if you had a bump on uh, the upper left lobe, they'd say, oh, you're a criminal. We should put you in jail. And because it was trying to label people and determine who they were like as a, as a person, it got thrown out, and they're like, oh, okay, well, so face reading or facial analysis could get thrown out at the exact same time. And to tell you, it's face reading, but the reason I call it facial analysis is because that's what you're doing is you're analyzing their face and figuring out how do I best interact with that person. Gotcha. By the way, to my listening audience, um, if you go to blogtalkradio.com, hit my picture carousel, and I know it's hard to visualize some of what Brian's talking about, but we do have slides there. So he just spoke of slide number one and slide number two. Um, Slide one goes over... Uh, you know, some of the common phrases, like take it on the chin, some of the common everyday phrases that we use that we take for granted, he's dissecting that. And then slide two goes in the, into the physiognomy of this art. So, um, and we'll go through some of the other slides as well. So take a look. It's on the picture carousel, whether you're listening um, on the archive or live today, that's the best place to check it out as to what uh, Brian is talking about. All right. So, so anyway, I was asking about, you know, is there a way for me to soften the blow and not get (laughs) upset when they're asking me the same question three times? So yes and no. If you want to not think about it, then you try and create a connection with that person. And so there's a great person, you've never talked to him, named Brian Bogert, and he talks about the four human needs that people have, and that is physical safety, emotional safety. People want to feel seen and heard, and then they want to feel connected. And so that third pillar is what you were talking about, is you don't feel seen or heard when somebody's reading a script to you. And I used to be, I actually used to run a help desk about 15 years ago, so I understand the need for a script because you want to make sure people are doing the tests each step and and you're asking the question. But if you're asking the same question over and over to your point, then I don't feel like you're listening to me because anytime I have to repeat myself to somebody over and over and over, I feel like they're not paying attention. That's really a scripting issue on their side. But if you want to make them feel like a person, ask them their name and then try using their name when they're talking, you're talking back to them because then they become a person to you. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to understand a little bit more about them, people will give themselves away in emails, texts, and over the phone. And I'll use myself as an example. When I go to hang up a phone call, I say, okay, I'll see you later. Right. I'm yeah, I do that person. too. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a visual person versus auditory. So when I say, I'll see you later, that's my primary uh, language that I learn from. So people are either auditory, kinesthetic, or visual. And they can be a good mix. Like people who have, if you look at someone's face and you look at the proportion, in proportion to the size of their face, do they have larger or smaller eyes? Do they have larger ears or smaller ears? And you'll see by looking at someone, what's their primary language if you want to talk to them. So I use example, and if we're in one of my training courses, I show a picture of the judges from The Voice. So anybody who's not familiar with voice, it's where all the judges face away from the contestant. And if they like what they hear, they press a button, then they turn around and get to see what the person looks like. And, well, they're the perfect people for that because if you go and look at any of their photos, they have very large ears and very small eyes. So if I was to try and reach out to these people, I would send an auditory text or I'd give them a phone call because if I send them an email or a regular text, then they're not going to respond. And in a lot of sales techniques that people are doing now is they're sending video messages 
And the whole reason mm-hmm. why is because you can get a visual and auditory to somebody, and then you can add in kinesthetic language while you're talking to them, like, hey, hope everything's going well. Um, you know, if you have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Or, you know, if you feel like we're on the same page, so I'm using kinesthetic words like feel, reach out. You know, can you wrap your hands around this as a kinesthetic word? So I can do these things all day long. Let's get moving on this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. By the way, my audience, um, look at slide five for the um, the recording artists that are on the TV show The Voice, and they all have big ears. Would that be true, Brian, of most mu- musicians, that they have yeah. bigger ears than their eyes? It depends, because if some people only learn to read sheet mu- uh, music, but they're not a auditory learner, so some people can hear it and just mm-hmm. learn how to play it in they're more acoustically in tune with the music. Some people, if you take away their sheet music, they can't play it. Does that oh, make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, it, again, it depends on their personality, which is reflected in their face, right? Their Absolutely. facial features. Ah, um, gotcha. or, yeah, or do they like to sing, but they like to see an audience, right? Versus, so there's so many different aspects of it. Of, and being in an industry doesn't determine who you necessarily are, but it doesn't surprise me. Like I said, for those judges – to be on the voice, if they were super visual, it would drive them nuts not to see who's singing first. Right. But for them, it makes perfect sense, larger ears, smaller eyes. And how can this apply? Well, if you're in sales and you see somebody who has larger ears, you would say auditory things like, does this sound like a good idea? Do you hear where I'm coming from? Mm-hmm. If they're more visual, picture this. Do you see where I'm coming from? So all you do is you play with what words do you think they best want to hear? And two books I recommend on this subject is if you've ever read The Five Love Languages, which I think everybody should, and then there is a great book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And oh, in, yeah. um, in The Five Love Languages, they talk about the, the barriers to communication are broken down when you learn to speak someone else's language. Now they're talking about their love languages, but it applies universally because it's only using your example – when we feel seen and heard, that's when we know people care, so we care. Right. Another one that totally, like, bakes me is, let's say you're at a restaurant and the waiter or waitress says, uh, would you like, you know, cream and sugar And I say, with your coffee? And I say no, because I just take it black, plain black. Mm-hmm. And every single time they ask that, every single time I say no, they always bring mm-hmm cream and sugar. So if you can't remember what I'm saying, then don't ask me the question. That's that's how I look at it. Like if you if you're going to bring it to the table 100% of the time, why are you even wasting my time with asking that question? It that, drives me nuts. <laughs> it's human nature. The human brain doesn't understand no. So you've always heard the phrase, if I tell you don't think about a pink elephant, right, your right. brain ignores the don't part. So even though you say, no, I don't want any sugar, all they hear is, I want sugar. Yeah. <laughs> to your point, it must remove be. the question. Yeah, to, you know, to your point, remove the question. Right. Yeah. Why even ask? Just bring Why it out. Why even ask? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's one of those time fillers, like, you know, have a nice day or something like that, stay safe. Or maybe it's a time filler kind of question. Who knows? It is. It, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny because... So many times people are on the robotic part of life that, again, why ask if you're not going to listen? But people do it all the time. 
How many times do people greet them? Hey, how are you doing? They don't even listen for you to respond. So sometimes right. it's fun just to mess with them and say something off the wall and see if they go, oh, okay, good. <laughs> but that's where we're on. We're on that auto repeat with a lot of things. Um, right. Uh, you were starting to ask the question, like, where else could this be used? Yeah. During the pandemic, people hit me up nonstop about online dating. So can you look at somebody's picture and, and figure out things about them? Absolutely. It got to the point I created a course. Um, so it's called Looking for Love and All the Wrong Faces.com. Because yeah. I got tired of people sending me photos and asking me, well, what about this person? What about that person? And it's not this is a deal breaker, but it's what do we have in common and what do we have that's different? So it, you can use this on customers, coworkers. You can use it on somebody that you're already in a relationship with. And I'll use this as an, a perfect example. I was in a relationship with somebody who had a very full upper eyelid like you do. Mm-hmm. And when somebody has a fuller upper eyelid, an easy way to remember it is the more lid you see, the more they think in terms of we. And so a larger upper eyelid is a we person that likes inclusive language. Where are we going? What are we doing? Enjoys doing things with other people. Well, I have not a lot of upper eyelid, so I'm like, well, I'm going to go over here. So the opposite of that is the more I you see, the more they think in terms of I. Neither one is right or wrong, but you have to know when you're dealing with somebody who has a different upper eyelid than you, that you may have to adjust. So in a romantic setting, if somebody like you has a fuller eyelid and I don't, we'd have to have that conversation of, hey, I know you like to do things together. Um, I like to enjoy, and I, sometimes I just go and with what I need to do, knock it out. It's not a reflection of you. It's just how I process and think things. So if I go and do things by myself, it's not to hurt you. That's just how I think. So what we have to do is come to an agreement on, let's do some things together. Let me go do some things on my own. And then we'll both end up happier as a result. And I didn't do that. Instead, I just was, okay, well, I just did my normal thing. And then every time I would do something or traveled without her, she felt slighted for some reason. And it was mm-hmm. absolutely nothing to do with her. But at the time, I wasn't paying attention to that bigger upper eyelid. And I wasn't using enough we language. But again, I would have that conversation now in a different day and age and say, hey, I, I know you like to do a lot of we things. How do we compromise and meet in the middle? I love that. I, I love that compromise because then you're you're acknowledging your your own needs and comparing that to your partner's needs, and maybe there's some middle ground. Like maybe, you know, half the the time we can do it my way, half the time we can do it your way, or you know, whatever it turns out to be. Even mm-hmm. seventy thirty works, you know. Absolutely. But when it's when it's ninety nine one, someone's going to be upset because mm-hmm. they they feel like they're not heard or seen or what have you. They're not acknowledged. Absolutely, and for for your audience, especially with the title of this particular segment, I recommend everybody reads No More Mr. Nice Guy. Because as men, a lot of times we're taught, okay, you got to just be the man of family, go do hard work, go do all these things for the family. And we forget that we're people as well. And that book was a game changer for me after I got divorced. Absolutely. I have a a chapter in my book, um, The Science of Mastering Women, and it says, why does night guy not work? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're over there, you're you know, painting her living room walls and you're helping her buy new tires or whatever it is and it doesn't work. And it's because she's put you in the friend zone. She doesn't feel that sexual tension with you. I mean, she might not want to have sex today, this minute, but she doesn't feel the sexual tension. She feels like, oh, this is my, 
you know, you're my brother or you're my, you know, best friend or something like that, but not, she's not thinking of you long term. So absolutely, you can use my skills and your skills in this area. Girls don't want a nice guy. And there's a biological reason for that. And if you strip it back 10,000 years ago, it was originally because in general, Mother Nature made men bigger, badder, stronger, faster than us to help us get out of danger, help women and children get out of danger. So if there's a climate event like, you know, hurricane, tornado, avalanche, what a flood, whatever, that the man will help us because you've got the muscles get out of that dangerous situation. So that has carried on to today. Um, they're looking for someone who's confident and someone, you know, who's going to help us with those type of emergency situations. Well, and looking at it on the opposite side, too, is if you're only giving to get, you're setting your, yourself up for failure, no matter if it's romantically at work. Like, that's why they always talk about it. And let's take it to a, a workplace setting. You can work hard for a promotion, or you can just work hard for that feeling of I'm working and giving the best I can. If a promotion comes, great. But if you're only doing it for that reward, then if you don't get it fast enough, that's where resentment builds. And the same thing romantically or uh, at work. Right. And you might be thinking you're working really hard in an avenue that your boss doesn't care about. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> um, for example, let's say your thing is saving the company money or something like that, like you negotiated this contract and you were able to shave off, I don't know, $50,000 off the price off that contract and woohoo, you think you're doing a great job, whereas your boss is not concerned about that, he might have a different MO altogether, maybe his deal is attrition or like improving attrition or uh, reducing stealing or pilferage or things that break down and now the big machinery, it's like out of commission for two months because the big machinery broke down. Like whatever it is, you guys might not be on the same page with what is important to your boss. So, yeah, you got to get on the same page with that. Otherwise, your efforts aren't going to work either. And that's where facing again comes back in or analyzing facial features is when it always starts out that companies hire me to talk to their salespeople. Mm-hmm. And then when they realize this helps with team building, team bonding, how the managers understand their employees and vice versa, that's where it really comes in. So the tagline is subtle skills for an enhanced life. This just didn't help me in one area of my life. It helped me in all areas of my life. And what people ask about all the time is, well, what about genetics? You know, I'm born, you know, genetic code. It is. It's a combination of genetics, but then everybody needs to read up on what epigenetics is, and that is what we experience in life changes our body. And I like to give the example of you know who goes to the gym and only touches their upper body and has never done a squat in their life, right? So it's the Bluto looking like from Popeye where it's big chest, little tiny legs, and you don't go, oh, that's genetics. No, it's how they chose to move their muscles. Well, there's 42 muscles in the face. And it's no different. What happens is the mind creates movement and movement creates muscle. And that's what changes our face over time. So I have a picture in my presentations that shows me at 18 versus 38. And I used to have 
a straight eyebrow on both sides, and now I have an angled eyebrow on my professional side, and I'll explain what this is in a minute, but my eyes also used to angle down. Well, eyes that angle down are a sign of what you can term a pessimist, but I like to reframe it as somebody who's good at anticipating problems, and that's what I was. I was raised in an environment where my stepdad could always tell me what was going to go wrong before he could tell me something that was positive. And so I grew up with that. So pictures of me as a younger kid, my eyes used to angle down. And whereas when I started in my work career, as I started to interact with more people outside of the help desk, I realized that somebody's eyes angled down, that's just how they think. They're not a negative Nancy. That's just either how they were raised or reared. And so those people would look, we need those people in QA. We need people who think about, what the speed bumps are or the things, the potholes we have to look out for. So that's where you start to learn to appreciate somebody. Instead of just labeling them as negative or overly optimistic, you look at them and go, hey, look, they're kind of optimistic. They like to hear about the pros. And then you look at somebody whose eyes angle down, and you think, oh, these are your people who are good at figuring out what problems are laying ahead of us. Mm. And, and when I used to sell, because I used to be part of a presentation team that we went and any customer over a million dollars, me and two other people were flown across the nation to go do these presentations. And like I mentioned, in the hotel room, I could check my projector, I could check my presentation, but people were the unknown until I learned this skill. And, it, and this is the most important part. This is a learned skill. I wasn't born with this. I started with a book. After the book, I went to his classes. After he got certified, I've just been testing it and playing with it over the last 12 years. And it's changed my life because now I can go anywhere and from being an introvert to networking doesn't cause me a sweat because when I'm focusing on somebody else's face, I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about how do I best interact with them. So we talked about the book earlier, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. The reason I recommend that book is he actually survived the Holocaust and he was in a concentration camp. And what he did is because he was a doctor, he got to interact with all these other um, detainees that were in there and what he found is the ones who seemed to survive the harshest conditions weren't the ones who were only thinking in terms of self-preservation but they were thinking like i want to see my wife again i want to see my kids again i want to see my parents again and so when we learn to focus outside of ourselves it changes things and people know when you're paying attention to them or your smartphone or your smartwatch in an interaction and that's what i really love about analyzing faces because Body language is important. I, I recommend two books I'll come back to in a second because knowing how to read a room will change your life. Mm -hmm. But body language is me staring down instead of staring at your face. And the reason I teach eyebrows first is because eyebrows lead to eye contact. And that's what people are losing the ability to do. Even we don't even know where to stare on a Zoom meeting. And so when we get to right. meetings, we forget to look someone in the eye, and that's where a connection is made. So when you look at somebody's eyebrows and you just take a second and go, what shape are their eyebrows? They think you're looking at them in the eye, and then they're like, oh, wow, this person's actually paying attention to me. So even if you don't learn the three shapes and you just think, what, what, what shape do they have? Those people are like, wow, they really care about me, or they're really paying attention to me. That's where the real power comes in. So I, I was going to actually ask you this question. Um, I think you sort of covered it. Can people's features change 
So you're saying with your different, you know, you might be born genetically a certain way, but with your internal environment, like what you go through, that absolutely they can change. 100%. Um, we're like, all... like you might have started off as a pessimist, you know, in your 20s, but by the time you're 45, maybe you've learned to overcome that and then your facial features change accordingly. 100%. Um, the number one question that comes up is, well, what about I go and get my eyebrows microbladed? Well, they don't take your eyebrows are there and make <laughs> completely new ones. They kind of enhance what's already there. But to your right. point, we're all a little bit two-faced. And when I say that, huh. it's because there are two sides to our face. So the easy way to remember that there's a personal side and a professional side or an internal side and an external side. I like to say personal and professional because it's easy for people to remember if I say, hey, are you married? That's a personal question. Mm-hmm. So the hand on the, in the U.S., the left hand is where a wedding ring would be. So the left side of your face is the personal side of your face. And then the right side or where your right hand would be is the professional side. So when I'm talking to someone, I think, okay, where would their wedding ring be? That's the personal side of their face. And you really talk to people different. Like you always hear this, the phrase, well, I'm a different person at home than I am at work. Our face already says that about us. And that's why you can take identical twins who have the same genetic code raised in the same environment, but did they have a hard time in school? Did they have a hard time in sports romantically, you know, in their work life? And all those will have different impacts on those muscles that will tense over time, and will that alter their face? And people say, oh, this isn't really there. There's not that much. If you've ever seen someone who has a stroke, all the muscles in their face droop. Mm-hmm. Right, and they look like to a completely one, different person. To one side, yeah. Correct, to one side. Usually to one side, yeah. Correct. And that's why we don't recognize what it is because we can still see one side of their face that still keeps all that tension and the other side doesn't. And that just shows you what the muscles have. And that's why, unfortunately, if you go to an open casket funeral, you don't often recognize the person because all that tension is gone. That's been there for so long. All those muscles relax, and that's really what Botox does. It's a, a muscle paralyzer. Okay. So they don't actually put in fillers that fill in the lines like we would if there's cracks in the concrete. We paralyze the muscle so the muscle smooths out, and that's why as it wears off, those lines, that muscle memory comes back, and those same lines come back. You don't get different lines. Those same ones come back that you earned over time. Gotcha. Now, the left and right side of the face, if you look at a picture of someone, it's almost always different, especially their their eye pocket area. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at high fashion models, male or female, they say that biometrically, the models that have the most symmetric faces, where both sides are practically identical, that you could take a piece of paper and fold it, fold a picture of themselves, and they're identical, right? Those are the ones that are the highest earners, your Heidi Klum's and your um, Giselle Bunchens and whatever. They've got completely symmetric faces. So what does that say, that people that have symmetry, that -hmm. there is no discernible, the left side is doing this and the right side is doing that? What do you have to say about that? Sure. Uh, so they are not perfectly symmetrical. Now they're close. They, they actually did studies back in the 80s where they tried to take one side of the face and duplicate it so you'd have perfect symmetry. Yeah. And it grossed out people. 
<laughs> they were actually, they, yeah, they didn't like looking at a perfectly symmetrical face. And that's why if you've ever seen like iRobot and some of these things, we don't trust those characters yeah. that are so robotic that they look exactly the same all the way around. We expect a little bit of distortion because of the everyday faces that we see. And you can go from literally somebody who looks like if you covered up one side of their face, they look like completely different people from the other side. But there are a lot of people who have close symmetry. Mm-hmm. And But the, here's the funny thing. A lot of that is makeup versus actual faces, right? So if you do the oh, makeup okay. the same on each side, you can change things. And so there's, there are advantages to facial features that women can do, right? You can make right. your, your cheeks look wider. You can enhance your lips. So before there was the lip injections, which, by the way, is the number one plastic surgery right now because people go in there getting their lips enhanced. Nobody knows why. Well, the reason for that is because a larger upper lip is your personal side, and it makes you more approachable. And people are like, that's BS. Sorry, I almost cussed, and I don't know if I can. But um, they're like, that's, that's, you're full of it. It doesn't matter. Okay, then why do we say the phrase, keep a stiff upper lip? What does that mean? It means don't share our emotions or be stoic. Well, what happens is as people keep that lip stiff and they don't share emotions, their upper lip will actually flatten. And so if you look at people who came from communist countries, you'll see a ton of flat upper lips. And what that means is when you meet somebody who has a flatter upper lip, don't ask them personal questions until they start talking about themselves. So if you see somebody who has a flatter upper lip, let's talk in business. You can be completely transactional with that person and they won't feel offended by it. But if somebody has a fuller upper lip and you don't ask them personal questions while you're going through the sales process, you may have made a sale, but you'll never have a customer because they'll feel like they were just after my, their commission and my money, and that'll be the end of it. But if you have somebody who has a flatter upper lip and they start talking about themselves, you're like, aha, I've crossed over to where they trust me. And then you can ask them personal questions, but you don't have to. That makes a lot of sense. I love that. So for somebody that does have almost symmetric features left and right, does that mean there's a balance between their work life and their, and their personal life? It can be, yes, because it, it just means that they didn't run into dramatic differences. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, let's say that you were a rock star athlete at school, right, which at the time is your profession, but you lived in an abusive home, then your eye may be pessimistic and more shallow, so more uh, receded in your head. But then on your professional side, it could be angled up because you're excited to go to school and sports and be seen. And even like your lips can have different sides and your nostrils can be different. I mean, you can really be a different person because it's left brain versus right brain activities. Mm-hmm. And when you are going to hire somebody, should you focus on their right side? And if you're going to choose a romantic partner, should you focus on the left side? I focus on it all. And the reason being is some people may have a hard time turning off work. Mm-hmm. Or some people, you know, what if they're an entrepreneur? And part of their passion and their life is that business. So you have to dig a little bit deeper. Um, I'm going to go off on a tangent for just one second. I don't ask people, hey, what do you do? Because all people hear is, what can you do for me? Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking to somebody, my first question is, especially now during COVID, like, hey, when you can travel again, where are you headed to next? 
because they will tell you more. That tells you more about someone than what they do for a living because people plan a vacation. People show up at work. Right. And not only that, if I have had a job I hate and you ask me what I do for a living, now I have a negative association with you because you reminded me about what I hate. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we've mentioned books. You have a book, everything else. So I like to ask people where they go on vacation or I'll start a conversation and say, oh, you know what? Getting ready to go on a, a road trip here. Um, you know, what do you recommend uh, for either Audible or a physical book? And that, again, tells me what do they read? Do they read fiction, nonfiction? If they tell me that they enjoy Audible more than a regular book, well, then I'll dig a little bit deeper. Oh, do you do Audible just because it's easier to do while you're running errands? Or they'll say, no, I'm just a very much an Audible person. Well, guess how I'm going to talk to them from now on? Right. In auditory language. Mm-hmm. Now, what about some of the, the rock stars, especially rappers? They wear dark sunglasses, so you have no idea what's going on with their eyes. You have no idea what their brow shape is because oftentimes the glasses cover that up. What does that say about the person? Why are, why are they doing that, especially in an indoor setting, they, they're mm-hmm. wearing glasses? It's two things. Number one, it creates a barrier between them and everybody else. So a lot of famous people are introverts who are successful. Now, don't get me wrong. They can be total rock stars, you know, on several things. But a lot of times it creates a barrier between you and somebody else. So it's, for example, why do we sit on the opposite side of a desk when we're in an environment? That creates a barrier between people. Why do people put books, laptops in front of them? It creates barriers. So sunglasses like that are just another way of doing it. And sometimes people want to be able to look around without people knowing where they're looking. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, cool. um, and I'll, let's go to the opposite of that. Right now we still live in when you're flying and you're in the airport, you have to wear masks, right? In different parts of the country, you still have to wear masks. Right. So even with masks being covered up, you can still see people's eyebrows. You can see their eyebrow height. You can see the angle of their eyes. So yeah. giving this real fast, because I know we've, we've got 15 minutes left, there's two basic things to know about eyebrows, and that is what's the height and what's the shape of their eyebrows. And so if someone has an eyebrow, if you think about data racing down your forehead to get to your eye, because when we're born, we're born with, if we're lucky enough to be born with sight, we're born with sight, then we're born with a fear of loud noises and a fear of heights. We learn to take in the world visually first. And so eyebrows keep our eyes safe in a variety of ways. They keep dust out, dirt out, but over time, they also tell us a little bit about the person. And if you don't think eyebrows are important, go and Google people without eyebrows, and you won't even recognize celebrities if their eyebrows are gone. I mean, it's, I, was, I did that from one of your last uh, podcasts that you, that you gave, and it's amazing how many actresses have no eyebrows at all. Yeah. It's cra- what, is that, what does that indicate when the person has no eyebrows? I mean, we're not talking just a blonde thing, because these, mm-hmm. were, these were actresses of all kinds of races and colors and creeds and whatever, and even they had no eyebrows either. What does that mean? Those were digitally enhanced to remove their eyebrows. <laughs> so, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so somebody just went in, and they, that was a question is, what do people think about eyebrows? So we're fascinated with eyebrows. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of where somebody took their baby and drew the three basic shapes of eyebrows on their baby, and it was rounded eyebrows, angled eyebrows, and straight eyebrows, and you look at the baby differently just based on how the eyebrows are. And so people are like, okay, this, you're still full of it. Go and Google, and this one I actually just ran across last week before a talk, is <clears throat> go Google highbrow humor and lowbrow humor. 
and I'm going to explain why this makes sense in a minute, but if your eyebrows are farther, the farther they are away from your eye, the more time you need to make a decision. Well, when you go and look at highbrow humor, those are jokes that, you don't, that don't make you instantly laugh because you have to think about it for a minute. And this blew my mind because I didn't know this one until literally last week I was speaking in Austin for the uh, Texas uh, Association of Technical Educators. And I was just, I was thinking about humor and I was laughing. I'm like, you know what? It, let me Google highbrow humor, lowbrow humor. Lowbrow humor, which is eyebrows literally sitting on top of the eye, are jokes that make you laugh instantly. Hmm. And the funny thing about that is in my presentations, if you saw the one that I did with Jake, that's exactly what people have high eyebrows, which there's space in between their eyebrow and their eye of greater than a finger. Those are people who need time to make a decision. They hate being forced to make a rush decision. So, you know, in, in talking with someone, if they have a higher eyelid and you're in sales and you ask them, you're trying to do this one phone call close, if you force them into making that decision and you don't give them time, you may have sold something, but you've lost a client because they're going to have buyer's remorse. They're going to feel bullied. However, if somebody's eyebrows literally sitting above their eye, they like to make decisions fast. And so they understand things faster. So you can do a one sale close and you'll be perfectly fine. That person may love you for it because you're not wasting their time. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the first two is highbrow and lowbrow. Then there's three basic shapes of eyebrows. And so the way I like to teach it is three different phrases. If somebody has a straight eyebrow, you get straight to the point. Facts, figures, data, and stop talking and say, what other information do you need? So using it, for example, in real estate, Ask the person, hey, what are you looking for? A 3-3, a 2-2, a 3-1? What are you looking for? What payment range are you looking for? What interest rate are you looking for? And stop. And say, what other information can I get you? So when you see straight eyebrows, and let's say you're going on this romantically, don't give them long-winded stories. Give them quick stories that tell a little bit about you, and then stop. And then let them share a story. Because the longer you talk with somebody with straight eyebrows, the more that they quit paying attention to you and the more you frustrate them. Right. right. You may lose them. 100%. They've already mentally checked out. By the way, my audience, uh, the slide that Brian is talking about right now is slide number six, the different, the three different eyebrow shapes. By the way, I want to get in your plugs uh, to reach Brian. You're on with Brian Galke. Uh, go to subtleskills.com subtleskills.com. And Brian, tell the audience, um, you know, anything more you want to say about how to contact you or what type of services they can, you know, I don't know if you do coaching or, you know, groups or with different companies. Tell them a little bit about what you do. Absolutely. So I'm a public speaker because I want to get this out to the world. The more that we become dependent on technology, the more that we need to be able to figure out how to connect with people again. So speaking is my passion for two reasons. One, I get paid to travel all over the world, and I get to teach people something. And both of those are some of my favorite things. Um, You can find me basically everywhere just by looking up subtle skills. On Instagram, I'm subtle skills. Facebook, subtle skills. I don't use LinkedIn as much as I should. And then the website is subtle skills. And the reason why I call the company that is these are all things that you don't tell people that you're doing. So we teach facial feature analysis is number one. Uh, We teach a little bit of body language, a little bit of how to understand people based on their emails, what people say to you. It's all in how to enhance communication with other people. 
And again, you don't walk into a room and announce, hey, I read a body language book. And what I love about reading faces is nobody knows about this, even though, again, it, I call it the unfair advantage, because it's using information you already know, you just haven't been formally taught on it. Mm. Gotcha. You can also uh, use the scan feature on slide number seven. So mm -hmm. that's up there as well. All right. Um, what is the difference between body language and facial analysis? Like for decades, we've all heard of body language. You know, is he crossing his legs? Then you should cross your legs. If if he's propping himself up with, you know, um, the the fist to the chin or whatever, then you should mirror that and do that too. So Absolutely. tell us what the difference between these two skills skill sets are. Absolutely. Face reading is proactive. Body language is reactive, meaning you can't study up on somebody's body language and understand them. It's more of a when you meet with them, there's two parts of body language. Number one, what are you projecting to them and what are they projecting to you? So now there is a, a really good friend of mine, Janine Driver, has a book called You Stay More Than You Think, mm -hmm. which is a different body language book than most people have because it asks you to examine your own body language and how are you presenting yourself to the world, which I think is vastly important. <clears throat> and then the other body language books cover... Wait, the, the facial analysis is reactive? Is that what you were saying? No, it's proactive because you can do it proactive. ahead of meeting someone. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, gotcha. And then the body language is reactive. Correct. Gotcha, and, all right. And here's the thing about body language. It's still important, but with most of us doing calls, dates, family gatherings over Zoom, how much of their body can you see? I mean, this day and age, we're lucky if people are wearing pants, let alone we can't see if they're crossing their legs, you yeah. know, Zoom. And that's where, if there was never a better time to understand people based on their facial features, now is it because you are looking at a Zoom picture of them a majority of the time, or you can only see their face. Yeah. You know, especially when we can't go, like I've got clients in Minnesota that they still haven't opened up, and I've had them as clients for a year and have never been allowed to visit them. So every one of my calls is a Teams call or a Zoom call. And that's how I have to build that relationship is listening to their words, but ahead of time I know who I'm meeting with, and I go and think how would they best hear what I want to say. Mm-hmm. All right, and I sent Brian um, my picture, haha, because you know it's all about me. And he did a little analysis on what I look like. Um, go ahead, Brian, if you happen to have my picture up or can oh, yeah. remember your your comments there, and tell people what you saw. Sure. So I read people top to bottom, left to right, and even with this just little picture that you sent me, there's several things that your face says about you. The first one is, oh, and let me go back to, we talked about the straight eyebrow, and we'll talk about the other three because this lays into uh, your face here. So the other two types of eyebrows are an angled eyebrow is, what's my angle? Help me understand it so I can help other people. So teach people and involve them in the process. And then the rounded eyebrow is, they think about the people around them first and themselves second. And the reason I say that is, you have these beautiful rounded eyebrows so I know you're always thinking about everybody else first and yourself second. So I wouldn't come and talk to you about how you're going to benefit from something or if I was talking to you on a social, let's say, networking event, I, don't, I wouldn't walk up and go, oh, so what do you do? But I'd be like, oh, hey, do you know anybody else here? You know, tell me about your family, depending on what, what the situation is. I'd ask you about other people first because that's what rounded eyebrow people think first is about the people around them and then themselves second. 
Uh, we talked earlier about upper eyelids. You have very full upper eyelids, so you're a we person. Where are we going? What are we doing? You enjoy doing things with other people. And versus people who have no upper eyelid, they enjoy doing things alone. If somebody joins them, it's a bonus, but it's not a requirement. So you're more of an inclusive person. Where are we going? What are we doing? Um, I can't tell because your your picture's angled, so I can't tell eye angle. But uh, the next part I went down is something that a lot of people wouldn't know about you is you have what's called a forced smile line. So below the nose and above the upper lip, you have a horizontal line there when you smile. So when you see that on someone, that's indicative of somebody who they were raised in an environment such as, look, I don't care if the house is burning down, you should always have a smile on your face. Nobody needs to know what's happening behind closed doors. Just always smile. And we also get that because, look, when we smile, people smile back. And so when you see somebody who does that, that's somebody who got ahead in life, either because a smile brought a smile on somebody else's face or they were told, hey, you need to always have a smile. And it's usually that second one. So I don't know if that's true for you or not. That is true. <laughs> for um, the earlier part of my life in my 20s, I was a pessimist because I had, you know, rotten, crazy household where parents were arguing all the time. And it mm -hmm. took me a good decade or two to like shed that and be smiling and be happy for real from the inside and mm -hmm. put aside all that pessimistic behavior. But yes, I occasionally I still do the forced smile, like smile at all costs because that's what the world wants to see. Exactly. So, um, and that's something that nobody would really know about you if they didn't understand how to analyze facial features. Um, the last two, and then I got to go here in a minute, is yeah. good strong chin, so I know that we don't have to walk on eggshells around you. So the larger somebody's chin is, we actually say the phrase, take one on the chin. That tells you how people handle adversity and criticism. So the larger the chin is, the more you don't have to walk on eggshells. And I don't have to use the sandwich technique on you, which here's something good, here's something bad, here's something good. The smaller the chin is, the more effective that criticism is, so I, when, I, when I was in uh, Austin last week, somebody had a really small chin, and I had to say, hey, look, I know criticism to you sounds like everyone's yelling. You've got to understand that's just part of who you are. They're not actually yelling at you, and that's what you see. So when somebody has a, recede, a receding chin, those are people who will retreat away from adversarial situations mm -hmm. because they don't know how to handle it. They literally hear it as yelling when somebody's just giving normal criticism. Gotcha. Very and then good. you have two other things, and that is you have a very strong jawline. So once you make up your mind, you're a little bit hellish to get you to change your mind, right? You kind of latch in. That's what creates those strong jaws. But mm -hmm. right next to that is also talk lines. So you have these little horizontal lines on your um, chin in between your jaw and your cheek. I'm sorry, in between your jaw and your chin on your cheek. Those are called talk lines. So I know for you, you enjoy good conversation. So you're a well-rounded eyebrows. You think about people around you first. You love hearing other people's stories and talking to them and asking them about them, which, shocker, look at what you are on here, right? You're, you're asking people. So if you go and look at Oprah, Oprah has the same things, talk lines, rounded eyebrows. What's Oprah's show about? It's not about Oprah. It's titled Oprah, but it's about her guests, and it's about the people in the audience. So all those are things that you can see just on the one picture you sent me. And I could talk about your face for another hour. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, it's often been said of me when I 
come up to a complete stranger that they trust me. And I'm like, you know, don't get in trouble. I don't want you to get fired. Don't go, you know, out on a limb here. I'm going to feel bad. And they're like, no, 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 you have an honest face. That's what <laughs> so it is. I'm going to do this special favor for you because you have an honest face. I mean, yeah. they are right, but it always shocks me. Like, how do they know that? Because, again, we've been taught. Think about when we were in school, we had to read all these books, To Kill a Mockingbird, everything else. They described the characters by their facial features. Yeah. And we just we read it, and we understood people, and we translate that over to real life. And that's why you can turn on a movie and hit mute, and you know who's the hero and who's the villain just by looking at them. So the best face readers in the world are talent agents who have to figure out who's going to play what role in a movie or TV okay. show. But with that, um, I do have to run. Awesome. So great to have you on, Brian. Um, SubtleSkills.com, SubtleSkills.com. Thank you so much. I know you got to go. Really enjoyed you today. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Linda. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. All right. Let's take a quick break here, and we'll be right back. That was my guest today, Brian Galkey, and he reads faces and that's what our show was about today all right so um can i'll be right back thank you for listening to our show today i really appreciate it please tell your friends and family there's lots of ways that you can show your love if you happen to like our show today you can listen call subscribe chat like our fan page follow comment share tell a friend advertise with me Start with my Amazon link, download my app, and buy my book on Amazon. What's the name of the book? Well, it is The Science of Mastering Women, The Science of Mastering Women, The Real Truth About Women That Will Change Your Life Forever. All right? The Science of Mastering Women, The Real Truth About Women That Will Change Your Life Forever. Where can you get it? on Amazon. You can download in a few seconds or what most men do is they request Amazon to send you the paperback, which takes about five days or so. But I think what they do is when you do that, you automatically get the ebook, So you get two for the price of one. Might as well just do that while you're waiting around for the five days. You can start in on the ebook. So you actually have both formats right there. So that's what I would do. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can download that ebook for free. All right? So make that happen. And by the way, if you happen to have missed last week's show, I mean, yesterday's show, I should say, we were talking about signs of chronic anxiety. Are you constantly worried, nervous, and tense? Are your troubles disruptive to your everyday life, even affecting your work or health? Well, let's take a look at yesterday's show and what are the common warning signs that should lead you to getting help. Where do you find yesterday's show? Well, right here on Blog Talk Radio in the art. Better yet, you can go to SoundCloud, uh, TuneIn, iTunes, and now we're on Spotify. How do you find us on Spotify? The Men's Advocate Show, the Men's Advocate Show. We need to bump up our numbers there because that's brand new, uh, the Men's Advocate Show on Spotify. And you don't have to remember all these links. They're in um, my social media. All you have to do is click and go, right? 
click, go, rate, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. Now, if you're not on those podcasting platforms, just type type it into your search engine, the Men's Advocate Show, the Men's Advocate Show, and it, hopefully our show will come up in your favorite podcasting platform. All right. Okay, I want to give a shout-out to one of the sponsors of my show, Aaron Clary. He has a recent book out. It's called The Book of Numbers, The Book of Numbers, Analyzing the ROI on the Pursuit of Women. You can find it on Amazon. That's The Book of Numbers. He also has a terrific podcast, so check him out, Aaron Clary. Again, I want to thank you for joining our show today, and um, please write to me. Tell me who you want to have on as a guest, whether you liked our guest today, and I'd love to hear your comments and questions about our show. Um, Get that done. Uh, You know, private message me on my social media or go to info at themensadvocate.com, info at themensadvocate.com, I will be happy to view and respond to your questions. Okay, bye for now. We will see you next week right here on the Men's Advocate Show. If you want me to sign your book, 